So this is Emergency Care in Scotland. I'm Stuart Ramsey. I'm a paramedic working at Glasgow East Station. And today I'm here with JP Lockery, who is, well, I'll let him explain exactly what he does. So hello, JP. Hi, Stuart. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Yourself? Yep, very well. Busy? Always, always busy. You you work in between the Queen Elizabeth and EMRS and you're a, you teach as well, is that correct? Yeah, so I am a consultant in emergency medicine in Glasgow and I spend about half of my time in the ED at the Queen Elizabeth University Hospital and I spend the other half of my working time with EMRS West. I see. So if you could just explain to our listeners, so tell us about how did you end up where you are just now? Where did you start off? So I started off, I studied at Glasgow University. I'm a child of the west of Scotland, a child of Glasgow. Um, so I spent my university career at Glasgow having a very happy time um, and a very eye-opening time learning medicine in Glasgow because it's a very intense experience medical school. And then when I came out, I entered into my house jobs in Lanarkshire and in Glasgow as well and stayed in the west of Scotland. Spent a little bit of time exploring specialties. Wasn't quite sure what career I wanted to have. My initial ambitions as a surgeon um, were somewhat curtailed by my lack of enthusiasm for long elective cases or for the planned and those that could be predicted. I always found myself drifting down to the emergency department to see what action was going on down there or spending time taking the on-call page from my colleagues who just wanted to get to theatre. I spent a little bit of time between my foundation years and entering into specialty training doing some additional jobs, what's now kind of termed the FY3 here by many junior doctors. And there, I've done my initial emergency medicine job in Monklands Hospital, which is a place that remains very dear to my heart um, and definitely was the right career choice for me. I got my run through specialty training job and started that in 2008 in the west of Scotland and rotated through a variety of hospitals as different as Lanarkshire and the big city centre teaching hospitals all the way down to Air Hospital and spent some time in the children's hospital as well. During my training I discovered these doctors that I worked with seemed to do different things outside of work that I had no concept or idea of so working in the RAH with some of the guys that started the emergency med medical retrieval service they would bring patients from islands that I had only differently heard of and you know sometimes had never heard of and couldn't work out how they got into this so did a bit of learning a bit of research and found out a bit more about what that service was and really got a passion for pre-hospital and retrieval medicine as the kind of the jaggy end of emergency medicine so in ED although it's a high pressure high stakes environment you're well supported generally because you're in a hospital with support from specialties support from having radiology support from having blood transfusion and intensive care. But taking those skills that I'd learned and developed in my training and applying them to the roadside where you have the bags that you can carry, the equipment that you can carry, and your patient um, really was what I discovered that I wanted to do. And I was really passionate and excited to try and get into that. And I also discovered in that that actually the inter-hospital transfers from the small places up and down the west coast and the north of Scotland was really exciting and really challenging. That was the bit of intensive care that I really enjoyed was the application of critical care in difficult places 
to make sure that those patients in those difficult to reach places had equitable access to high quality care. So I was lucky enough to get a sessional fellow job with the EMRS when I was a relatively junior registrar and did that on top of my normal working pattern. Thanks to my very understanding wife, um, I would do that on my weekends off. I would offer my time up to go and do retrieval. I then took six months out of my training and spent some time with EMRS doing some focus training and learning and got up to speed with everything. And then when I got my consultant jobs, was fortunate enough to be offered a part-time, a sessional type consultant post with EMRS, as many of us are. So there are only one or two doctors in EMRS West and North who do that as their only job. The rest of us all do it as a component of our base rota job where we offer up some of our time um, to go and do this as part of our, our routine job. So that's where I got to today. So if I break that down for people who might not work in healthcare, so you're a student in university and then once you pass that after X amount of years, you would then be a foundation doctor in the hospital. Yep. And that's when people talk about FY, so foundation year one, two, three, and then you would start deciding which specialty you want to go down, which could be any consultant, but you've kind of branched off and you've gone into what's called EMRS. Yeah, because if I so I can completely relate to being on the jaggy end of uh, emergency medicine because, like you're talking about support as paramedics and technicians, uh, the buck kind of tends to stop with us most of the time when we're in someone's house, unless we're fortunate enough for you guys to come along. Uh, I've also I'm from Stornoway originally, so understand the importance of any kind of retrieval and just how kind of. The postcode lottery you would have of healthcare maybe 20 years ago isn't the same as it is now because we're able to transfer people to the right place just kind of immediately, whereas before it would be not a death sentence, but depending on what, what medical problem you fell down with, you might not get the right care, which could then have consequences later on. So if you could just explain to... So EMRS is the Emergency Medical Retrieval Service. And that is a specific um, service in Scotland. So could you tell me how that came about and what it does? Yeah, so we'll start off with the beginning of how it started, which was very much at the start of my training. So I'm only told the stories and how it started by the more senior members of our team. So in around about 2006, 2007, there were a group of interested and enthusiastic consultants in the west of Scotland, around about the Glasgow area mostly, um, from a background of emergency medicine, anaesthesia, intensive care. And it was noted, as you said, Stuart, that at that time, patients coming from highlands and islands and remote and rural healthcare settings often had inequitable access to critical care. Some of these patients were terrifically unwell and were being transported sometimes by a, a lone paramedic in the back of an aircraft over long distances and for long times without necessarily the critical care support that they would have had sometimes in the hospital they were being referred from and definitely not in the hospital that they were being referred to. In that period of time when they were in transfer, really the care that they were given wasn't, that's not within the scope of practice of paramedics to be able to deliver that care. So essentially as a voluntary service, a group of the consultants at that time offered up their time to be available and on call if one of these transfers and referrals came in, predominantly from the Argyll and Butte type area um, down in the, the southwest initially. 
they then used the generation of how many jobs they did, how much work they did for those patients and the improved outcomes to generate a pilot business case and within the, the justification of the service's existence, the full launch of a NHS-funded service. That's where we are unique. Most air ambulances in the UK are charities. The doctors and paramedics are often paid for, funded by NHS contracts, but the actual air and the aviation type side of things is often run entirely as a charitable process. In Scotland, we are fortunate enough that both our teams in the West, so we have two teams on duty at any one time in the West and one team on duty in EMRS North and Aberdeen. So we're funded by the NHS Scotland to take out and provide critical care wherever the patient requires that. So for primary or pre-hospital activations, that's often with paramedics in the patient's home, at the scene of an incident or accident, at the roadside often. And that's taking the care that is needed when they get to the resource room or to the hospital earlier into that patient's journey to try and materially impact the outcome long-term for that patient, both in terms of saving lives, but also reducing the morbidity and secondary insult that they'll get as well. We're also then available. Sorry, go on. Sorry, let me in here and uh, so we've gone from so we put a scenario through um in the past you would have somebody who would say they'd be in the western Isles hospital in stornoway and they have deteriorated say they've got sepsis they've got some huge infection they've deteriorated and they need to go from hdu to icu in glasgow and previously that would have been a paramedic that would have taken them by air potentially the other thing that would have happened sometimes is that we would have depleted the local team's ability because we might have ended up with an anaesthetic escort from one of these rural general hospitals having to transfer the patient. And that means that they then might not have an anaesthetic person working in that rural general hospital for the duration of that transfer. So to try and protect that local resource, it's another good asset to have. So potentially you would have had to form a team of the hospital staff in Stornoway and a paramedic and the air ambulance aircraft to take a patient to Glasgow because they need escalated they needed escalated care. And now with the formation of EMRS, it's a specific team that would go get the patient and then take them back. Yeah, yeah. and that's the, the initial raison d'etre for EMRS was about supporting remote and rural critical care medicine rather than HEMS, rather than pre-hospital emergency medicine per se. We were available for and did respond to pre-hospital emergencies, but far fewer than we do now for a number of reasons. The evolution of the Scottish Trauma Network with the critical care desk at its centre, our availability has improved as research has gone on to show that we can have benefit for some patients with pre-hospital critical injuries. And also we know now from research what time of day and where major trauma happens in Scotland so we can try and align the application and availability of resources to best meet the needs of those patients rather than when it's convenient to have a service available, align that to the the distribution of when those incidents occur. Okay. Could we just go back slightly? Um, If we talk about, so you've got primary and then you've got secondaries. Could you try and explain that? Yeah, so the the primary incident would be the pre-hospital activation. So that's generally someone who's not reached a healthcare setting yet. Now, that is often at the roadside, as many of our incidents are road traffic collisions, 
sometimes in public places uh, in the cases of things like interpersonal violence and it is occasionally in, in the patient's own home or in other places so that's generally what paramedics do every day and we go along and try and support the work of the paramedics by adding the additional skills and equipment that we bring for that patient to help supplement the care that's already being given to them. A secondary mission for us is one that has been seen and assessed by a healthcare professional in different parts of the country that can be a consultant anaesthetist who's already given the patient an anaesthetic, intubated them, applied the big lines that they need for giving them advanced medications and essentially our job is then to package them for transfer and move them safely. And in other places that might be a remote district nurse or GP who has a limited availability of some of these drugs and the skill set to give someone an anaesthetic. So in those circumstances we go out and we would apply the full range of critical care that's available to us. In the middle there's what we sometimes term as primary plus or a modified primary. And in some places, if there's a long transfer time and the patient has immediate care needs, the crew or team on scene may elect to move the patient to hospital, knowing that that's not the definitive hospital for that patient, but they need some stabilization procedure. So if the patient, for example, had a bad road traffic collision up in the Highlands and was being taken into the Belford, we would often be tasked at the same time as the patient was actually leaving the scene to go into the hospital, we would then go to the hospital, assist in the resuscitation and stabilisation of the patient if that was required, and then transfer the patient early. That's well established in some of the HEM services that perform this kind of work down south, and it's something that's developing in Scotland. And then the last kind of bit of our work as well is in the, the major incident arena. So we now provide the pre-hospital medical teams for major instance in the west of Scotland, in the north of the country, and also because of the size of our team in the west, we would back up the other regional pre-hospital critical care teams in Dundee and in Edinburgh if multiple medical teams were required. What are the main situations you'd be called out to? The main types of situations that are our typical calls would be, so for a primary or a pre-hospital job, that would typically be high-speed road traffic collisions, particularly getting into the good weather that we're getting just now. Sunny bank holidays up the West Coast tend to get motorcyclists and holidaymakers and tourists and things out. So we are often responding to high-speed road traffic collisions. Going out to those places, assisting in the extrication if that's required by giving medications to aid the patient's pain and sometimes apply sedation in situ and also help with the decision-making on how speedy that extrication needs to be. That patient might have typically blunt trauma, so head injuries, chest and abdominal, pelvic injuries. So we would then support the work of the paramedics who give all of the stuff that paramedics can give for trauma, and that's what most trauma patients require. But we then bring the ability to give that patient an anaesthetic if that's required to protect their airway or take control of the ventilation. We can administer blood transfusions, which is essential for the distances that we have to travel with our patients sometimes, not waiting until we get to hospital to be able to do that. And the other big red team intervention that we can apply that's out with the scope of practice of paramedics would be surgical interventions. So open chest procedures to decompress the chest would be the main one, um, as well as more advanced surgical procedures if those are required. So the big RTCs, big blunt trauma, tends to be our main pre-hospital bulk of our work. 
There is unfortunately still a group of patients with interpersonal violence, particularly centred around the bigger urban areas. So we are tasked often to central penetrating trauma, particularly if the patient sounds very unwell, in case they require surgical decompression of either their lungs or blood around their heart if that's required. And there's certainly good evidence from London that doing that in the pre-hospital environment is appropriate in some circumstances and can generate survivors, eh, people who may have died of their injuries otherwise. And the other group of patients that we're increasingly being tasked to now are the critically unwell medical emergencies. So taking, for example, a patient who's post-seizures, who remains unconscious, may have an obstructed airway, or problems with agitation, we're able to go out and give sedation. We can give those patients an anaesthetic as well to take over their airway and their ventilation. So we can very much apply the same skills, drugs, equipment and experience to those medically unwell patients as we can do to trauma patients. The groups of patients that we go to for secondary transfers uh, are predominantly people with the usual things that are admitted to intensive care. So that could be sepsis with problems with their blood pressure. It may be respiratory failure, so from exacerbations of COPD through to pneumonia requiring ventilation. It can often be secondary transfers for trauma patients who've been admitted, treated and assessed in the local hospital but require transfer to a higher level of care. And at other times it can be for the, the more unusual things, so neurological causes, toxicology and poisonings. Really, the full gamut of what we see in emergency medicine is what we would be asked to go and transfer from one hospital to another if the patient was critically unwell. So if I break that down a little bit for students, so in kind of your working day as a paramedic, you might get tasked to someone who has been hit by a bus. And on the way there, some uh, control would say EMRS are potentially available for this if you require them. Um, in the past, I've been backed up for motorcycle RTCs. When I was working in Inverness, I was at a horrific RTC outside Tomatan, and EMRS came in helicopter there. Um, what kind of transport options do you have, and when? Do, how do you decide which to use? We generally, there's a very complicated system for working out how we're going to get to a job. So generally, we use a 30-minute isochrome for drive time. So based in the West, we are at Glasgow Airport and from there, driving in one of our response cars for 30 minutes, generally speaking, we're going to be quicker driving to the patient, getting immediately to the patient, to the locus of the incident or the patient's location, do what we need to do and then transfer with an ambulance is still generally quicker than the loading time, landing time, deloading time, and then all of the gubbins that goes along with loading a patient into a helicopter flying them to a hospital that has a helipad and then offloading. So generally speaking, if it's about 30 minutes drive time, we would generally drive. If it's beyond that, we may be quicker flying. And that then takes into account things like traffic conditions, weather conditions, time of day, the patient's location for some places that are particularly inaccessible by road and other places that are quite challenging to access by air. So if you're far away but you're in the middle of a town, that might be potentially tricky. So at the centre of all of this is the critical care desk. So that's one of the advanced retrieval practitioners or advanced practitioners in critical care who are based up in West Control, examining every 999 call that comes into Scotland, into the ambulance service to examine those and scrutinise those for the jobs where 
enhance their additional resources can make a difference to the patient's journey. So that may be directly to the locus by sending the trauma team and they'll usually have worked out what the best way for us to get there is. There are occasions when they task us by air and actually the weather has deteriorated and the pilots tell us that we would be better driving because there's a good chance we won't make it and have to be turned back because of the weather. Um, But they usually would task us by whichever platform. So in those circumstances, that comes through very similar to it would do to paramedics and technicians in the ambulance service. It comes through as a job that they tell us what we're going to, where we're going and what we need to take. Uh, You mentioned the trauma team there. So that is a kind of, I think a lot of students get a bit confused about this. So it's not a specific, is trauma team kind of like a a kind of bit of a slang term for who's potentially going to turn up and help you? And that could be a critical care paramedic working by themselves who has got advanced skills. Or it could be ERMS, which would be an advanced paramedic with a consultant A and E doctor. Is that correct? Or it could so be it, all. Yeah, it could everyone. be any or all of those things. As a kind of a an umbrella term, I personally don't like the term. But trying to find a good term for critical care team or things can be quite challenging because that can be quite confusing in the pre-hospital environment what's being sent to you. So if a trauma team is being sent, that generally will be a doctor and paramedic, doctor and advanced paramedic, a doctor and advanced retrieval practitioner or double doctor team that would come out. And that's relatively consistent across the West from EMRS, the Southeast with Medic One and the East and Tayside Trauma Team and an EMRS North. So that if you get a trauma team, that will generally be a doctor and another. And that doctor will be a consultant from a background of either A&E, emergency medicine, intensive care medicine or anesthesia. So someone who has been employed by our services to apply those critical care interventions. And the reason I don't like it necessarily just being called trauma team is because that potentially misses a big chunk of patients who we can help with. Many medical patients do need advanced interventions pre-hospitally and that's something that we can have as much impact on that patient's journey as we can do in trauma arguably more sometimes i think the the pre-hospital critical care team is maybe a better terminology but a bit of a mouthful on a radio so trauma team should just be that same thing the other the advanced paramedics or the apccs or in some places they would be called critical care practitioners or critical care paramedics that's the, as you've said, the advanced practitioners who've undergone significant training, revalidation, sign off by one of the associate medical directors to be able to apply enhanced skills. So they would be, if the standard ambulance response is a green response with all of the skills, drugs and kit that they bring, the advanced practitioners would fall into that yellow or amber response, bringing things like ketamine sedation, further advanced analgesia interventions that they can bring as well as a range of drugs that they bring for medical emergencies because that tends to be the bulk of their work and then the the red teams or the pre-hospital critical care teams would be overlaid on top of that essentially to add in what we can bring on top of the care that's already been given to them amazing yeah so basically as a student or as a paramedic out in the road you get sent to uh, a road traffic collision and it sounds really bad controller going to tell you the trauma team is available and that might be as you've just discussed um so 
you would then arrive and then you would feedback to control what's actually happened compared to what the call's been given and then they would either decide to carry on or they would decide not to come but generally there to help paramedics and give extended skills and i think i find the what they can do what's most beneficial whenever i receive help from you guys is definitely ketamine because you end up with people with broken bones from like potentially just falling off a ladder and if it wasn't for the ketamine that person's going to be in agony for the the whole of the duration of their trip all the way to hospital and so if we talk about what is the scottish trauma network so trauma networks in general have been on the go now for about 15 years starting off in england and around about london mainly the concept behind a trauma network is that not every hospital can have every service and do it as well and if you concentrate the resources for some conditions or centralization that you can improve outcomes for those conditions so if you centralize trauma services being intensive care orthopedic surgery vascular surgery interventional radiology and actually the team based response into a smaller number of bigger hospitals and you condense that workload in there is that you can improve outcomes by getting the right patient to the right place at the right time. And I add with the right team as well, because in Scotland, our trauma network is spread across an enormous geographical area where it's entirely different to London's trauma network, which is entirely within the M25. So you have in Scotland, you have four major trauma centres. So you have the Queen Elizabeth in Glasgow, the Royal Infirmary of Edinburgh in Edinburgh, You've got Nine Wells in Dundee and Aberdeen Royal Infirmary. Overlaid on top of that, you have the trauma units. So those are hospitals that have trauma services, such as orthopedic surgery, general surgery, and can perform all of the treatments that most trauma patients require, but they will take that second tier of trauma patients who maybe don't require the more advanced trauma interventions like interventional radiology. Those are spread across the whole country, and those tend to be in the older terms district general type hospitals so often just out with major urban conurbations often a good spread of them across the country and the considerations for what a trauma unit is is determined by its geography as well as what services are available there and then distal to that you then have the local emergency hospitals where if the patient is sieved through the trauma triage tool and doesn't meet any of the criteria for bypass to a major trauma centre or a trauma unit, they'll be taken to the local emergency hospital. So the Scottish Trauma Network is then formed of the four geographical areas, all of which interlink and dovetail for the the places that kind of border different trauma networks. So places like Forth Valley, where you actually straddle across a couple of trauma networks. The Belford and Fort William, which belongs to the North Trauma Network, but many of their patients come to the West because of its relationship with us and the ambulance service and the EMRS. And then in some of the supra-regional services, such as spinal injuries located in the Queen Elizabeth in Glasgow, is that there are moves across the different trauma network areas to try and make sure that the patient gets the right care in the right place. The benefits of it are huge. When we look at the outcome data for the English trauma networks, we do see a survival benefit, and not just a survival benefit, but a morbidity benefit if we prioritise rehabilitation medicine. So doing all of the things that we can do to get the trauma patient in as good a condition to hospital, but we then have to start the rehab process very early on 
then we can actually get people back into fulfilling lives, effective work, and back to their as close to their pre-trauma condition as we possibly can. But the the survival statistics do bear out not just in the major trauma centres, but actually in the trauma units and local emergency hospitals too. That has been borne out across the UK, and we've yet to see the hugest amount of data for the Scottish trauma networks because these things do take time, and so it does take time for the, the trauma network to evolve. We obviously had the trauma network launching in the middle of a global pandemic, which was perhaps an unforeseen complication. So some of that outcome data will bear out in the future. But we do have anecdotal data and we who work in the trauma centres can pick out individual circumstances where that patient may have had a very different journey and outcome if they didn't have rapid access to some of the services and teams and capabilities of the major trauma centres. That was part one with JP Lochry. Thanks for listening to Emergency Care in Scotland.